Hi, this is Karin Zissis of ASCOA Online. Latin America has one of the world's more active and promising startup scenes. From Mexico City to Sao Paulo to Buenos Aires, Venture Capital is helping promising entrepreneurs launch businesses that are transforming the hemisphere. But the founders of those companies are having to navigate increasingly difficult economic conditions, including a shifting macroeconomic panorama. Then in March, Silicon Valley Bank, the 16th largest lender in America, experienced a bank run. Within around two days, the news of a sale of $20 billion of securities flooded social media and caused depositors to pull their money out. In mere hours, the bank's market value tanked from $44 billion to $7 billion. Incredible chaos. We have 250 portfolio companies, and I'd say about 30% are involved with SVB. And in the last 24 hours, many founders, investors that I've talked to have been desperately trying to get their money. But for the world and the region, SVB is just one symptom of broader economic challenges that run the gamut from high interest rates to a tightening investment market. So how are venture capitalists and startup founders in Latin America navigating this uncertainty? My colleague, Luisa Leme, spoke to our own Susan Siegel, CEO and President of America Society, Council of the Americas. Siegel has had a career in banking and decades of experience as an investor in Latin America. Why is it harder to get venture capital today? It has to do with rising interest rates. And as interest rates have risen, it has revalued a number of the startups that existed. And it's forced a number of the startups to say, well, you can't just keep getting a lot of rounds of financing. You've got to prove your economic model. The two discussed what SVB does or doesn't mean for the economy, how the global and regional banking sector is changing, and what entrepreneurs in Latin America should pay attention to during this slowdown cycle. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Susan, thank you so much for coming back to Latin American Focus. We're Super excited that you're back at the show. Well, thank you for inviting me again. It's very exciting to be here and talk about such an important topic. Susan, let's start with some context. How important was the SVB collapse for Latin America? I think the SVB collapse was important for all markets because it talks about the stability of the banking system. And the stability of the banking system is very, very important. In terms of Latin America, it doesn't affect the banking system in Latin America all that much. What will affect Latin America, in my opinion, is if there were a you know, global meltdown of confidence in the banking system, then, in fact, it could have an impact. But the banks in most countries in Latin America are quite well regulated. Where I think the real impact um, is, is in absolute growth. Because what the collapse of SVB 
really has done is um, made a soft landing in the United States that much more difficult. So you have uncertainty in the banking system and that impacts the real economy of the United States. The real economy of the United States probably it increases the odds of potentially having um, some kind of recession in this country and that the recession hopefully won't have, won't be deep, won't be long, but it certainly increases the prospect of having a recession. When you have less growth in the United States, well, that does impact Latin America because of trading relationships between a lot of Latin America and the U.S. Thank you, Susan. That's an important point. I also wanted to ask you about entrepreneurs in Latin America, how they are seeing SVB. What are your thoughts on that and on startups in the region right now? You got to take things apart. Latin American startups may have had an account in SVB, but most Latin American startups don't have leverage. They don't have debt in their capital structure. They have venture capital. They have investors in their structure. So these companies, some of them may have had accounts in SVB. Most of them didn't. Some of the venture capital firms from Latin America did. And they used SVB in certain cases, might have, might have made advances against the disbursements um, from the LPs. So small startups in the U.S. might have used them to deposit the money that they got from investors. In Latin America, they might have, but they also might have been using local banks, right? Um, so it affected more, I would say, the venture capitalists only in that they didn't lose money, right? Only in that um, many of them moved the accounts where the LPs would disperse their money from Silicon Valley Bank. They moved them to other banks, let's say JP Morgan or Citibank or some of the other major banks. Mm -hmm. Brazilian billionaire André Esteves of Banco BTG was quoted as saying that any Latin American junior analyst would have spotted the SVB risk. Companies in the region pull their money fast. What do you think this says about Latin American entrepreneurs? I don't agree with Esteves. If a basic analyst had analyzed the bank and come to that conclusion, they would have pulled their money out several months ago, two or three months ago. So let's step back and look at what happened in Silicon Valley Bank. What happened was, during a period, basically we've gone through a sustained period of free money, right? So very low interest rates basically said free money. So. Clients of Silicon Valley Bank deposited money, either money that they got from venture capitalists to fund their company over the next several months, or money that the company made and, and, and deposited there, but they were deposits. What happened was the Silicon Valley Bank took in deposits And then, because they wanted more yield, they invested those deposits in long-term bonds. They thought, which was a faulty concept, that they wouldn't have to sell the bonds because they didn't think that people would necessarily come in and ask to have the deposits repaid, right? 
claim their deposits as quickly as they did. But what happened was um, that turned out to be a false assumption. So they bought these bonds, the, these long-term bonds, they yielded a very low rate. And so when they went to sell them, they sold them at a loss because interest rates rose so quickly. So they got caught in a mismatched position. This really is an earthquake, especially for the tech community. Silicon Valley Bank dropped by 60% yesterday alone. We just learned today that California regulators have shut this lender down. This is You know what? There's nothing new in that. Many banks over many centuries have gone under for very similar reasons. Now, you can say, you know, what, who's at fault? How did this happen? Well, I think a part of it is that after the 2008 crisis, um, you know, there were certain rules put in around banks where they tested liquidity, they had to have more capital, and a number of other measures. And in 2018, the small and medium-sized banks lobbied our Congress to change the rules for small and medium-sized banks because it costs a lot of money to do this. And under the previous administration, they changed the rules. House lawmakers have voted in favor of a bipartisan Senate bill easing financial regulation signed into law by President Obama back in... And so they weren't testing local liquidity enough. They weren't looking you know, for all these gaps in capital. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank management failed badly. They grew the bank very quickly. They exposed the bank to significant liquidity risk and interest rate risk. Didn't hedge that risk. An unprecedentedly rapid and massive bank run. So this is a, this is a very large group of connected depositors, concentrated group of connected depositors, and a very, very fast run, faster than the historical record would suggest. There's nothing more letting America than a WhatsApp collapse, right? Everybody right. sent messages, there was social media everywhere. And as you said, this happened super fast. Some observers say that SVB maybe would have survived if it, if it wasn't for that velocity. Finance has this emotional component, right? We know. So what are the lessons here? What do you think are the lessons we can take away from this? I think the tragedy in all of this is that a lot of companies have moved their accounts to larger banks, right? And so, in a sense, some of the smaller and medium-sized banks are losing their deposit base. I think there are a lot of lessons to learn from this. Number one, I think the regulators are going to go back and relook at, you know, the capital and liquidity requirements um, and probably reinstate a number of the requirements, um, which if you're a large bank, not only do you have much stricter requirements, but you have to actually test your liquidity and have huge capital buffers, um, test your liquidity almost every day, right? And mm -hmm. so, um, I, I, yes, there are lessons to learn. The velocity hasn't happened because of social media, but the fact is, is that there have been many banks that have gone under throughout the ages because of this incredible mismatch, which is really what happened here. Mm -hmm. Okay. In that context, what are the challenges entrepreneurs might face when they want to access venture capital now? So why is it harder to get venture capital today? It has to do with rising interest rates and as interest rates have risen, it has revalued 
a number of the startups that existed. And it's forced a number of the startups to say, well, you can't just keep getting a lot of rounds of financing. You've got to prove your economic model, right? Prove that you can make money, that this makes sense, because the cost of um, there just isn't as much venture capital around. So what does that mean? Because companies are worthless. So companies that maybe were worth, I don't know, did their second round of financing and were worth $30 million today, they may only be worth $20 million. And so the entrepreneur has to come to grips with the fact that his next round of financing may only be at a valuation of $20 million, which means um, that both the existing adventures and investors and the entrepreneurs will get more dilution, which means their ownership um, will decline and their absolute real value of the firm. There will be a lot of venture capital. There'll be a lot of consolidation of companies. Some companies will go under. Some new companies will get uh, new rounds of financing. I met an amazing entrepreneur in, in Argentina that's doing biotech that, you know, his companies will get some financing. So, you know, this just takes you one more. It's like what's happening right now is like what happened in the, in the tech sector, a little bit like what happened in the tech meltdown in 2001. It has to do with the point in time of mm -hmm. where we are with venture capital. One thing I am absolutely sure of, I feel quite confident that overall, the banking system in the United States, in Canada, in Latin America in most cases, um, in, in, in Europe, is very well capitalized. And there's, there's a lot of capital, there's a lot of buffer, particularly in the big banks. And I think this will help you know, reinstate some of the regulation around some of the small and medium-sized banks. Very well capitalized, liquidity is very well monitored. Um, and they're quite profitable. Mm -hmm. Okay, Susan, give us the macroeconomic view then. What concerns you and what do you see happening in the next couple of years? I worry that, you know, social media and other things can get ahead and make people, you know, nervous. And I also think that um, Chairman Powell has had to think about, you know, how, how much more is he going to raise interest rates? What I think has changed is eventually how people are going to think about inflation. Chairman Powell basically said, I'm going to stamp out inflation in a year. And the market anticipated that interest rates would peak and start to come down by the end of the year. I think what is beginning to change is the market doesn't believe that anymore. So maybe the rise of interest rates will be a little bit slower the additional incremental rises, that the commitment to stamp out inflation will be equal, but maybe it won't be in one year. Maybe it'll be over a period of time. Maybe people will begin to think that, you know, 1% inflation or 2% inflation in the United States is too little, given our deficit, given a bunch of other things. So I think there are a lot of things like that that are, that are very impactful. I think Chairman Powell, I mean, getting it right um, in terms of not sending this, this economy into a major uh, recession is an art, not a science. And so the fact that he just raised interest rates a quarter of the point, which gave the banking sector some space to breathe, but it also now, given these concerns that the markets had over um, some of the small and medium-sized banks, this has given breathing space 
um, mm -hmm. but also breathing space so that the Fed can see what's happening and what's the real impact on the economy, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because they want to slow the economy down to slow inflation down. They want to increase unemployment because that's the sign, right, that you're slowing the economy down. But they don't want to send the economy into a big recession. And so now we're into the space of art, not just science. Looking at the future, Susan, so what is keeping investors and entrepreneurs, the banking sector, up at night? I think there are plenty of things that should be keeping entrepreneurs, investors up, but it does it has less to do with Silicon Valley Bank than it does to do with the state of um, you know early stage companies right now, given where we are in the cycle. And it's going to take a couple of years for the cycle to clean clean itself up and for entrepreneurs to get used to the fact that the valuation that they had a year ago may not be the valuation they have today. They have to prove that their economic model is going to work. Whereas in a moment of free money, you didn't have to prove that so much. You just kept getting free money. And so absolutely, I think this is a really important time for venture capital. I'm really excited about it because I actually thought the valuations were a little bit steep before. And so I think this is actually good for what's going on. Um, in the venture capital market, but you know, it, it, this will take time. And the cycle, um, from everything I have read, is somewhere between one to three years for entrepreneurs to understand the cycle, to get used to the fact their company may not be worth as much, uh, et cetera. And we're in the first year of the cycle. So we have another year to two years in, in this cycle to go. But for good companies, there'll be venture capital. What do you think is your advice? My advice is to, same advice I gave some companies in 2000, and in 2001 and 2002, pretend that the money you have is your last dollar and make it last. And um, be committed to prove that uh, you can make your company profitable. That's great. Thank you so much, Susan. We appreciate your time. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zesses. This episode was produced by Chase Harrison and our executive producer, Luisa Lemmy. Learn more at www.as-coa.org slash podcast. In this episode, you hear Las Dos Milongas. Hay pibas que dos milongas bailan cual nubes ardiendo performed by Estefania Melonio and Descarga Candinga Mondongo y Sandunga, performed by Uso Ismael for America Society. Check the podcast notes for links to watch the full videos. And find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Write us a review, give us five stars, or subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.